Well, good morning, church. My name is Trevor Miller, and I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb, and I consider it a great privilege to be with you this morning, to be able to open the Word together and to be able to wrestle with God's truth today, to help us grow into the people He wants us to be. So whether you're in the room with me right now or you're watching online, we're super thankful to be able to gather together this morning and to worship God with one another. Now, appropriately, I think we've been wrestling through these psalms known as Psalms of Ascent. Now, these are 15 psalms of all the book of psalms that would be read and sung by the Jewish people each and every year as they would travel to Jerusalem to take part in worship during three different festivals, the festival of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And so of these 15, we've been looking at five of them. We've already kind of wrestled with three of them. And what you'll find as we look into these different Psalms of Ascent is each one has kind of a different bend, a different feel, a different aspect to it. They would sing and say over one another that would help them to be encouraged and unified as a people of God as they would travel to Jerusalem to worship each and every time. So today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 128. If you want to turn your Bibles there, you can, you can go ahead and do that. We're going to stay in that psalm the entire time. And this psalm is a psalm that you sing when everything in the world is right. This is the kind of psalm that you sing when you do it in four-part harmony and you clap and you stomp because things are as they should be. This particular psalm, Psalm 128, is known as a psalm of blessing. A psalm of blessing. Uh, many years ago, I had the chance to lead a group of young adults to Alaska on one of our mission trips for the very first time. Now, um, I've been on probably 16 mission trips in my life. Many of those mission trips I've led myself. But I was used to leading mission trips full of middle school students. We have to tell them every single thing like, okay, now breathe and now walk with me and now eat this thing so they don't hurt themselves on the week that we're away. But going with young adults is a completely different kind of experience. And so we flew to Alaska with this young adult group. There was 20 of them. First trip of, of me ever leading a group of young adults. And from the very beginning, this trip still, for whatever reason, has been one of my favorite mission trips I've ever been on my entire life. And for the entire week, this group of 20 of us just really engaged in caring for one another, loving each other, really serving those that we went to Fairbanks to serve. Each and every night we would gather together and kind of debrief the day and talk with one another. It was so honest. It was so vulnerable. Um, there was tears at night as we would share with one another. And I could feel and sense that we were growing together with one another and at the same time really growing in connection with God. It was, it was as we kind of unplugged from our normal life in Lexington and went away at least for eight days together, it was as close as I can remember to just kind of really hitting on all cylinders as the people of God. So the very end of the week, we had served all week long and we had one final day before we went back to Lexington. And so we had a free day to go to Denali National Park. And so we drove two hours away to Denali. And if you've ever been there in Alaska, it is one of the most beautiful places on earth. It is so, so, so big. Just everything is massive. And so we drove in. I was a bit overwhelmed on what to tell the 20 of us to do for our half day there and um, how do we spend our time. But someone told us, hey, why don't you hike this, this uh, hike? It's a five-mile hike. It's up this mountain called Mount Healy, and it's a summit. So you'll see a lot of the park. If you do it. And so he said, sure, that sounds great. So uh, the whole group, we decided to hike Mount Healy together. And I'll be honest with you, it was much more difficult than I had anticipated. It was very steep. It was very grueling. Um, it was very hard. There was loose rocks. And so the whole group, there were some of us, I wasn't sure we're going to make it, but we encouraged each other. We kept going. We sang songs. We listened to music, whatever it took for us to finally get to the top of the mountain. And so we finally made it to the top of Mount Healy. And I took this picture of our group up there. There's all 20 of us right here. 
And if you can see behind, there's a little river right to the back left. And that's where we started. We came all the way up here, all the way from back there. And I remember finally getting to the top and spending time with the, these, this group of people. And looking at this picture even now, uh, I, I looked around. I, I thought to myself, this, this is the blessed life. Like this is what it looks like to live a life of blessing. As we were so engaged with each other all week long, we were so engaged with those that we came to serve. And even to top it off perfectly, at the very end of the week to hike this thing together and make it to the top, it just was, it was the definition of what it looked like to live the blessed life. And it was during this trip that for me, we kind of stumbled upon the very thing that the writer of Psalm 128 wants to make aware to us. It's the very psalm that was read and sung every year as the Jewish people would travel to Jerusalem to remind themselves once again of this one really, really profound truth. And it's found at the very beginning of Psalm 128, verse 1, when it says this. Blessed are all who fear the Lord and who walk in obedience to him. Blessed are all who fear the Lord and who walk in obedience to him. Now, even as we read this very first verse, it should pique our attention because there's a specific word that is said and written here, and it's the word blessed. And in the Hebrew, you could just as easily translate this word blessed as the word happy. Happy are those, blessed are those who fear the Lord and who walk in obedience to him. And can we just all agree here for a moment this morning, those who are in the room, those who are watching online, can we just agree for a moment that this ultimately is what every single person is looking for, right? We're all looking for the blessed life. We're all looking for the happy life. And we've been searching for this very thing. And we try for it in all kinds of different ways to find blessedness, to find happiness. But unfortunately, some of the ways we try to do this is all wrong. We max out credit cards. We think it'll make us happy. We marry a certain person hoping they're going to make us happy. We plan vacation to unplug from life so that we can be happy. We cheer our favorite sports team on so they'll make us happy. And as Gamecock fans, we know it just doesn't work. And we put a lot of pressure on our children to make us happy. Sometimes we turn to drink or substance to make us happy that we might find happiness. And how many know in the room it's a dead-end road? It's never found in any one of these places. And I would argue that now more than ever, the world is looking for the blessed life. They are looking for the happy life. And the psalmist says it's not found in any of these things I've just mentioned. Verse 1 says it's found in one specific place. And it may be the place that we don't intend to look for it in. But Psalm 128 reminds us that the blessed life, the happy life is found in the fear of the Lord and walking in obedience to him. Fear of the Lord and walking in obedience to him. Now I want to stop just for a moment because even as we go through this psalm, I want to remind us that this particular psalm, all the psalms, are written as what, are called, what is called wisdom literature. Everyone say wisdom. You got masks on, so it's kind of hard to hear. But wisdom literature, I trust you. Wisdom literature in the ancient Near East was written in a certain kind of way. Wisdom literature was not written as like A plus B equals C. If you do these two things, here's the ultimate outcome with certainty. That's not the way wisdom literature was written. Instead, the way this would be written would be principles that we could apply to our life. If you are to do these things or live this kind of thing out, you have a very good possibility of experiencing this kind of desired outcome. It puts you in the best position possible. But we do this kind of thing all the time by giving principles and not necessarily certainty. We say to our kids things like, listen, if you study, you'll get what? An A, maybe a C. If you study, 
you'll get an A. If you, if you practice hard, you'll make the team. Or I'm guilty of always saying, listen, if you tell me the truth, you won't get in trouble, right? But it's principle. Because we all know that sometimes we do study hard and we don't get the A. Sometimes we do practice hard and we don't make the team. And sometimes we tell the truth, but we still get in trouble. Because it's, it's principle, it's not certainty. So as the author writes this particular psalm that we're going to look at today, I want to remind us of that. Because just because this is something that we actually apply to our life does not necessarily mean this will be the outcome. But it puts us in the best position possible to experience this. And so the writer says at the very beginning... The blessed life comes from fear of the Lord and obedience to him. Fear of the Lord is a term that shows up in the Old Testament in multiple different places. And I would argue it's one of the terms that we struggle the most with as Christians. Because we're taught not to fear God, right? No, God's a God of love. We don't, we don't fear God. But, but the writer is not saying fear of the Lord in terms of cowering before a cosmic deity who wants to smite us. It doesn't mean that we're quivering in terror before God. What this word, fear of the Lord, really means, it can be translated just as easily as holy reverence. Recognizing that God has all authority, all power. We become fully aware of his position before us, and at the same time, we become fully aware of our position before him. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He can do anything that he wants to. The best way I can think about it is as a kid, I used to always try to wrestle my dad. Anybody ever do this when you were a kid? And dads, for whatever reason, have dad strength. Right? My dad didn't work out, but for whatever reason, it didn't matter what I tried to do. If I would try to sneak attack, jump on his back, it did not matter. He would be able to defeat me. It was dad strength. I couldn't explain it, but it was something that just was. I didn't fear my dad because of that, but I respected him. I had a reverence towards him. And I think sometimes we don't have this kind of reverence towards God. We don't live our lives with fear of God. The best way I can think about it is fear of God is the, the ways in life where we live in line with the way the world was intended to work. The way God is intended from the beginning. When we live into that, we live with fear of God. For instance, yesterday I went uh, to Harbison State Forest. I went mountain biking for the first time in a long time. I did nine miles while I was out there. It was incredibly hot, but it was so enjoyable. I hadn't done it in a very, very long time. And I was all by myself. And when you go to Harbison, there's, there's two different ways that you can get from parking lot back to parking lot. Either if you're hiking or you're running or you're biking, you can follow the, the blaze trails, which doesn't make it easier. It's still very difficult. There's rocks and roots and everything else, but I know exactly where I'm going and I stay on the trail. The other option you have is to blaze your own trail. Just do it on your own, however you want to. And it's, inc- it's incredibly more difficult to live life that kind of way. I believe what we get in scripture and what God reminds us of in his, in his power and his authority is that we are to live our life with fear of God, running the marked trail, not blazing our own way, but living the way God has intended for us to live. When we don't fear God, when we don't live with holy reverence, we are always tempted then to want to blaze our own trail, to live life our own way. But when we fear God, we have reverence from him that we have the greatest chance, the writer says, of experiencing this blessed life. The blessed life comes from a fear of God and then obedience to him. We see a little more light shown on this topic when coming from the book of Proverbs, another book of wisdom. And it says this in the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 7. It's the crux of the entire book. The writer says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom 
and instruction. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It is, it is wisdom. I know many people in my life, and I can point to many times in my life, where I've decided to do my own thing, and I've lived foolish kinds of ways, and when I don't have wisdom, guess the outcome? I harm myself. I harm others. I squander opportunity. I lose respect from people around me. And ultimately, I, find, I make choices that lead me further and further away from God. We don't consider God to be the one of authority. We consider ourselves to be the ones of authority. And when we make foolish choices, it never ends well for us. But here's what blows my mind. We know what's true. For the most part, we have all the knowledge and all the information that we could possibly need, but we don't apply it to our life, and therefore, it never becomes wisdom. But what does Proverbs say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. My guess would be if we were to look at all the foolish choices we've ever made within our life, if we were to take those foolish choices back, it would start with not fearing God, but choosing our own way, living with our own authority. Blessed life, the happy way, comes from fear of God and obedience to him. So here's one clear sign of the wisdom of God. Here's one clear sign that we're walking in wisdom. From Proverbs 1-7, from Psalm 128, verse 1, here's one sign. Obedience is the sign of wisdom. Obedience is the sign of wisdom. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord and walks in obedience to him. You want to experience the blessed life? You want to experience the happy life, the full life? Then the writer says it begins right here. It begins with wisdom not blazing our own trail, but instead walking this journey with God the way that it was intended to be walked in obedience with him. So a couple questions I would ask to help us understand, are we walking this blessed life? The first one is this, do I make decisions in my everyday life based upon my love for God and love for people? Do I hold values and convictions that match the word of God? Do I think about or talk about God in regular conversation throughout the day? Do I want what God wants for me more than what I want for myself? Do I see my life as something that is eternal or something that is temporal? Good indications that we are living a life in fear of God and obedience towards him. Now the psalmist goes on to say that if we are to live this kind of life, this blessed life, this happy way, then there are a couple outcomes that actually come from this. So Psalm 128, verses 2 through 4, the psalmist goes on to write this. He says, If you live in fear of God and obedience towards God, you will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around the table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. Now, again, this isn't meant to be taken as certainty. This is not a magic bullet that if you just do these things, this is the outcome, but it's guide and its principles. If we live this kind of way, here are two results that can come from this. I love what the writer says at first. He uses agricultural language to explain to us what this blessing and this fruitfulness looks like. This blessing and fruitfulness that comes from intentional labor, like sweat and toil that leads to bountiful outcome. Most of my life growing up as a kid, my my family had a strawberry patch in Indiana called the Miller's Strawberry Patch. It was a super creative name. Miller's Strawberry Patch. And there would be people from all over that would come and pick strawberries at this patch that we plant each and every year or every other year. And I remember as a kid, thinking back now, there, there was so much effort that went into putting those strawberries into the ground. 
I remember watching storms roll in, you know, to the countryside where my, the farm was that I grew up on. We'd be on a tractor pulling this implement through the dirt and one strawberry plant by one strawberry plant, thousands of them putting them into the ground as we would go through. I remember sometimes it'd be so dry in the summer times to keep these strawberries healthy and viable. We would go out and haul out water to spray it on the dry ground to keep them going. We would pull uh, weeds here and there and everywhere to keep them healthy and be able to grow. And eventually, when the strawberries began to grow, we would be out there, all the cousins, every single morning, picking strawberries all day long, hours and hours and hours of work. But it was the sweat, it was this toil that ended in a bountiful outcome. I believe what the writer is trying to say here is if we live our life in this blessed kind of way, if we live our life in holy reverence to God, if we live our life in obedience to him, then we put sweat and toil into the work within our life, it'll have a bountiful outcome to it. He's introducing a principle that shows up all throughout the scriptures. It's a very simple principle, actually. We talk about it all the time. But it's the principle of sowing and reaping. Reaping what we sow. And it has to do with beginning with fear of God. You see, our lives are largely a result of the things that we have sown into it. When a farmer would go out to sow seed, he would prepare the ground. He would broadcast that seed everywhere he possibly could so it would land in the dirt, begin to grow roots, and begin to take. And eventually it would produce a harvest, a reaping of some kind. But this harvest is a direct result of what's been sown into it. So out of obedience for God, my question is this very simply. The blessed life in God is a result of a faithful person sowing faithful things each and every day. And so husbands and wives, what are you sowing into your marriage? Do you sow into your marriage as a result of a fear of God and obedience to him? Parents, what are you sowing into your children? Are you taking every opportunity to sow into them this faith? and to encourage them to walk the best life possible. In your daily work, are you sowing in the place of employment? Do you work honest and hard as a follower of Jesus? In your spiritual development, are you sowing in a way that it will cause some kind of growth? Do you read scripture? Do you spend time in prayer? Do you serve others? Do you wrestle with your faith? Because as we sow, we also will reap. And if we live a life in fear of God and obedience to him, we have the opportunity to reap a bountiful blessing as we toil and we sweat alongside of God's work within our life. The second piece that comes out within this uh, kind of result of a fear-based life of God and also obedience to God, it is the rich relationships that grow from it. I love the way the writer says this. He uses two different images that show up all throughout the book of Psalms in many places in the Bible. First, he uses the image of a home, and the second one is an image of a table. You see, the home is a place where the family lives and sleeps and finds safety, and a table is the place where the family gathers together. There's a direct result that takes place in our relationships based upon our fear of God and our obedience to him. The writer says, your wife will be a fruitful vine in the home. Your children will be like olive shoots around the table. Who doesn't want olive shoots around the table? But such imagery of fruitfulness and viability and life that comes from living this kind of way. There's a story that I stumbled upon that was over 100 years old that a pastor named Clovis Chapel used to tell. And he tells this story that I believe has a lot to do with what's at stake when it comes to our relationships with one another. 
He tells a story of two different paddle boats who set out out of Memphis, full of cargo to be taken way into the deep south, into New Orleans. And then these two paddle boats began to go down the river. They began to make fun of one another. All the sailors on the boat began to challenge each other. And before they knew it, they were in a race now to New Orleans with all the cargo that they were safely storing upon the boat. And they were, they were hauling down this river all the way to New Orleans, racing one another. The problem was that eventually one of the boats began to fall far behind the first one. They didn't have enough fuel. They had enough coal to get the boat and the cargo down to New Orleans. They didn't have the kind of coal and the kind of resources to be in a race. So they started to fall behind when all of a sudden one of the men on the boat decided, here's what we could do. Let's take some of the cargo and we'll throw it into the fire as well. And they found that the cargo burned just as much as the coal and they began to catch up to the other boat. And so sure enough, they, after cargo after cargo began to burn all of it and they won the race all the way to New Orleans, but they sacrificed the cargo that had been in their care. You see, sometimes I'm afraid that when it comes to relationships within our life, when we see life as a race, when we see life as a race to achieve, as a race to succeed, as a race to have recognition, a race to riches, or a race to finish, what gets sacrificed along the way is the cultivation for love for God and love for people. You see, God has entrusted to us all kinds of precious cargo. Maybe it's our marriage, our children, friends, those around us. And our job is to make sure that it makes it safely to the destination that it's intended to go. I wonder how many, because of no fear of God, because of no obedience to him, how many people suffer how much cargo is sacrificed along the way? You see, the Jewish people would sing this psalm each and every year, along with other psalms, to remind themselves that the blessed life, the happy life, was a result of our relationship with God. And it had something to do with the way that we reap and the way that we sow, and it had something to do with developing these deep relationships that in the end is what's most important. Now, the final two verses of Psalm 128, I think, are incredibly powerful and very important to understand the entire psalm. Psalm 128, verses 5 and 6, the writer says this. I love the way he ends. Imagine walking along with others to Jerusalem to worship, and you say this, and you sing this together. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all of the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. See, the very end of this passage, the very end of this particular psalm, the psalmist writes in such a way to make sure everyone remembers, and again, they would sing this to remind themselves each and every time, that the decisions that we make in terms of fear of God and obedience to him doesn't just affect us. And it doesn't just affect our immediate family, but it affects your children and your children's children. It's a generational perspective. And so as we are faithful to God, it's not just for those who are here right now. It's, it's for those who are yet to come. It's a generational perspective. You know, two years ago, um, I traveled back to Indiana with my family because my grandmother had passed away. So we went back for the funeral. And there were so many things to say about my grandmother. She was an amazing woman, Marilyn Miller. And uh, a lot of us grandchildren had a chance to stand up in front of friends and family and speak to my grandmother and her faithfulness. And my grandma was amazing for a lot of different reasons. Some of the reasons was that I didn't like chocolate chips growing up. I still kind of don't. And so when she would make chocolate chip cookies, she would make sure to make a batch without any chocolate chips, just for me. 
I remember as a kid playing football in middle school and high school and college, she was at like every football game she could possibly come to, always there to hug me after the game. She was a faithful, faithful woman. But one of my favorite stories about my grandmother is that she, when she was young, she wanted to be a missionary. That's what she wanted to do with her life. She wanted to be in full-time ministry, reaching the world. And when you know it, she got married, they had children, (laughs) and those dreams of ministry and missions never really came to fruition until much later on in her life. But I'm told that my grandmother for many, many years prayed for her children and prayed for her grandchildren. After she passed away, we found notebooks where she had prayers written out for each and every one of us. And all three of her children eventually ended up in full-time ministry in some kind of way or another. And many of her grandchildren ended up in full-time ministry in some kind of way or another on the mission field, serving in the church. I'm a product of a faithful woman who had a generational perspective. She wasn't faithful to God. She didn't fear God and live life obedient to him just for herself and just for her family but because she knew it would have an impact on the generations to come. And so even this morning, I'm afraid that some of us might even listen to this kind of message or, or read this in Psalm 128 and think, man, it's too late. I've lived most of my life for myself. I've lived most of my life only seeing authority as me and not God. I've lived most of my life being obedient to only the things that I wanted to do and not what God wanted me to do. But here's the good news. The blessed life is always before us. The happy life is always before us. We can make a decision right here and right now today to say, you know what, God, I want to see you in holy reverence as the one who has all authority, who creates and sustains all things. And I want to live my life each and every day in obedience to you, listening to you, and then living it out with everything that I have. So I want to pray for us this morning. And the reason I think it's such an important prayer is because what happens here within our lives will have repercussions for generations ahead, for many lives yet to come. So this morning, would you join me? Let us pray together. God, first and foremost, I want to confess that there have been ways in my life that I've searched for blessing, ways in my life that I've searched for happiness, and I've come up wanting. But I believe, God, I confess today that I believe the only way to find true blessing and happiness, not necessarily a full bank account or a house on the lake or everything perfect, but instead a walk with you, God, that is real and vibrant, The happy life is before me. God, forgive me for the times that I don't obey you. Forgive me for the times where I see myself as the final authority. God, we submit to you today. So Father, I pray for any person here this morning who just needs to take a moment to say, God, you are in charge, not me. I'll follow your lead. Would you take a moment just to let God know that today? because of the impact that it can make, not just for your life, but for lives to come, would you just tell God you want him to be the authority of your life? And maybe this morning, you recognize that it's time to obey him, to listen to his leading, to live out the way of scripture, to live out the way of Jesus. Would you, would you ask him for the strength and the power to do that very thing? God, as we journey through this life, I believe that there are two steps that we repeat each and every day. 
each and every hour of our life. And it's trust and obey. Trust and obey. I pray, God, we would trust you with our whole lives. I pray we would, we would obey you each and every step of our lives. And God, thank you for the opportunity that we get to experience the blessed life, the happy life, the happy way. And it's in your name that we pray today. Amen.